The final dump on Game On Wisconsin is brought to you by Artec Ventures. The goal at Artec Ventures is to collaborate closely with founders throughout all investment and fundraising stages, turning their visions into successful companies. Since 2020, Artec Ventures has helped turn great ideas into profitable businesses that make an impact on industries, communities, and beyond. Visit ArtecVentures.com for more info. <laughs> News dump. News dump, yay! News dump. I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. It's a grand fly! It's the final dump, presented by Game On Wisconsin. It is the week seven edition of the final dump, brought to you by Game On Wisconsin. Brendan Dworzynski and Matt Freilich here with you as the Green Bay Packers gear up to take on the Washington football team hot off another win five in a row now for the Packers following the week one mirage, debacle, calamity, whatever you want to call it. The Packers have not looked like that ever since. Anytime you beat the Chicago Bears, obviously it feels good for a week or a month or pretty much all year round because the Packers almost always beat the Bears. But we're still riding high going into this game against a Washington team that is down from a year ago. I don't think anyone would debate that. They're coming off a game in which they got smacked by the Kansas City Chiefs. A lot to get to this week, Matt. Plenty of matchup stuff to get to. We're going to talk some jerseys as well because obviously that's been a major topic this week with the 1950s throwbacks. We're also going to talk plenty of front office this week, though, because all of a sudden, I don't know what happened to the Packer way, but it didn't used to involve getting hyper-aggressive in the middle of the season and even right before the season started, but Brian Gutekunst is apparently saying, I know we've got a title window, so let's go take advantage of it and bring in anyone who wants to help out. It's ridiculous, man. Like It's changing, and I don't think maybe uh, the, the recency bias of the Jalen Smith, uh, Whitney Merciless, who we'll get to here a little bit, is out of the norm because we've seen that has been a thing throughout 12 months out of the year at 1265 they continue to do it during the season which is rare leading up to you know the regular season in the off season they're getting guys making moves and it's like a, this this fluid roster situation i think i read a note they'll have 61 guys different people have have one point will have been activated throughout these seven games come or for throughout the six weeks which is doesn't seem like a lot when you're dropping guys bringing them off the practice squad guys get hurt it's it, it means a little bit something so i think it's it's fantastic to see Goot making moves. I think there's a, you know, you go in one direction with Ted Thompson, never really making in-season moves, and the off-season ones are far and few between. To kind of go in the opposite direction now and trying to get back to that maybe that middle ground. We'll see where we end up here, but thus far, it's um, satisfying. A lot of people that like to see the Packers moving on that transaction wire. Well, let's get to the big transaction of the week: the Packers signing Whitney Merciless, the now tenth-year veteran pass rusher most of the time played outside linebacker switched to defensive end when Houston switched schemes he was cut by the Texans early this week we heard wind of that at the end of last week that hey he might be on the block well he was cut on Monday and the Packers swoop him up they sign him on Wednesday it was made official first thing on Thursday and immediately it looks like a great move because Whitney Merciless has put together a very nice career he was drafted out of Illinois back in 2012 and was a very steady piece for Houston for a long time, both during times when they were not good, like now, and also in the past when they were pretty good. He was a key piece of some very solid defenses lining up along with J.J. Watt and some of the other pieces those Houston rosters had. Now, he hasn't been amazing this year necessarily. He's got three sacks. His pressure rate is not 
very good. It sort of reminds you a little bit of Kyler Fackrell from a few years ago when he had something like 10 sacks and seven pressures or whatever it was, that crazy stat line. But hey, production is production. I don't really care if it's sustainable or not as long as it ends up showing up when the Packers are able to get him out there on the field. And it sounds from what we heard on Thursday during the press conferences from the coaching staff, he might even be able to get a little bit of run this weekend against Washington. Now, I don't know how much we can bank on from him, but the thing that stands out here, Matt, one, the front office, again, to really hammer it home, saw a need, and that is some pass rush depth while Preston Smith is banged up. We still don't know if Zadarius Smith is going to return anytime soon, if at all. Rashawn Gary's playing well, but how long can you rely on Jonathan Garvin to be generating pressure for you? You bring in a veteran, a guy who is a great locker room presence from everything we've heard about him, a guy who can still get after the quarterback, even if it's in more of a limited role. So that's just a smart move. It's a very intentional move that I think worked out. And if you can get him out there, at least in the meantime, as a situational pass rusher, you know, if he turns into what Dwight Freeney was at the end of his career, and I'm not necessarily saying Whitney Merciless is as good of a player as Dwight Freeney was at his peak, but Dwight Freeney, the last couple of years of his career, he just signed on with teams midway through the season, was a situational slash third down pass rusher, turned into a very valuable asset for a couple of good teams. Well, if that's essentially the need, the spot that you end up filling with Whitney Merciless, well, mission accomplished. That's a phenomenal ad. And once again, We've said this a couple of times with these ads over the course of the year, Matt, and late in training camp as well. This is pretty much no risk. I mean, you're not paying him anything, and it's a high upside move. So credit to Brian Gutekunst in the front office because adding Whitney Merciless right now, no matter what he's able to give you, I think is a massive win. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The veteran presence, I think, is a big, big thing with Merciless, and he's been a part of some really good defenses. You mentioned J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney. Guys where he was maybe looked over a little bit, but has been a solid, solid, integral piece of the Texans' defense. Similar situation though with Jalen Smith. Wasn't fit in the scheme. Jalen Smith with Dan Quinn's defense. You look at the, the defense that the Houston Texans switched to from this year. For 10 years, they were in a 3-4 concept. Predominantly, more than likely, because of J.J. Watt and the pieces they had there. Now they switched to a 4-3. Merciless, apparently it was going to work for them. Sounded like you had mentioned last week he was on the trading block. No takers. He ends up getting released. Uh, gets to choose where he ends up. And similar to Jalen Smith, chose to take a little bit less money. But all in all, really, really wanted to come to Green Bay and be a part of this team. Meets his former teammate, Randall Cobb, as well, coming in. Um, I'm sure that had a little bit to do with it, especially it sounded like what Randall Cobb had said. Uh, about the Packers organization. Whitney Merciless had mentioned that this week in his press conference just about the, the history and the pedigree and the professionalism here in Titletown. So great piece to have. I mean, it's it's it makes you feel comfortable. He's a big body, 6'4", 260. I think he's a guy that can contribute right away. I'm, I'm shocked that he might be able to be activated for the first game considering Jalen Smith wasn't for his first game. I don't know if there was a injury situation there with Smith or why he wasn't activated right away when it seems like it's a very apple-to-apple -apple situation with Merciless. But overall, it's it, it'll be a nice piece to have. I think depending on the outcome of you know his production, at least he'll be a rotational guy at minimum. I think Jonathan Garvin had a good week last week in Week 6 versus the Bears. I was comfortable and happy to see him finally emerging. This might tell us a little bit more about Zadari Smith's back injury, uh, maybe foreshadowing for us down the way. I'd feel comfortable with a 31-year-old veteran coming in and you know making a splash play. It's not that every day you can get a guy like this, and I think this late in the season, being able to coming off waivers is that's that's a win for me in this defense. So we'll see what he can do in the Joe Barry defense. I personally am a fan of Whitney Merciless. I think he's just 
a no nonsense guy and he's just going to come in and like I said already be a huge veteran presence for this rotation that needed probably a little bit of a, a shot in the arm. Yeah, because there are just so many young guys who are now tasked with getting after the quarterback. And Preston Smith is still out there, and he really mm-hmm. is a defensive Iron Man. But he's banged up this week, and mm-hmm. you want to add a little more depth to make sure you're protected against him getting hurt even more or if he can't go for whatever reason. But you talk about Jonathan Garvin, who's so young. Rashawn Gary is still so young. Bringing a veteran to help them out, I don't really know how that could be a bad thing in any way. And I think maybe if he is able to go this week, I would assume it's because, you know, inside linebacker, Jalen Smith, hey, you've got to learn some certain things. You have to know some coverages. You're going to be in the middle of the field. You have a lot else going on. For Whitney Merciless, it might just be as simple as stand up outside the tackle, see ball, go get ball. And maybe it's as simple as that, especially if he's only in for 10, 12 defensive snaps. The other thing I want to touch on with this and how it just feels a little bit different, and I had this thought when the move was announced early on Wednesday. And I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to jinx it. But then Aaron Rodgers said it during his press conference. So I'm okay blurting it out as well. It feels like a move that this team may have made in, say, I don't know, 2010. And Mm -hmm. I joked about this on Twitter, but it also is entirely serious. If Whitney Merciless ends up being the Packers' Howard Green, then cool. And Howard Green, who you wouldn't remember for any other reason other than the fact he hit Ben Roethlisberger on Nick Collins' pick six in Super Bowl 45. And I know that's getting ahead of ourselves, and I know you can come up with comparisons and allegories for pretty much any season. But when Aaron Rodgers said it, I was willing to also be able to share that, hey, I feel like this too. So I'm all in for the move. I think it's a great addition. And you can never have too many guys who can get after the quarterback. I think that is established well throughout NFL history and is certainly in the modern game. And mention too, you've got some really good quarterbacks coming up on the schedule. Mm -hmm. Just in the next two weeks after the Washington game, you face Kyler Murray and you face Patrick Mahomes, two teams that have good or improving offensive lines, two good quarterbacks. You got to hit them as much as you possibly can. So I love the Whitney Merciless move. Now, in terms of other movement on the roster this week, let's take a look at the injury report. Some good news, Kevin King back to a limited participant in practice this week. That is really important because if they can get him out there, that adds that much more help to a secondary. And we'll get to the matchups with Washington in a minute. I'm not all that scared of the Washington offense for, frankly, a lot of reasons, but you want to have as many top flight guys out there as possible. And right now for that secondary, that's Kevin King. And hey, if you can get Kevin King out there instead of Isaac Yadam, then fine, call that a huge win. So Kevin King being able to practice a little bit more, that's a big win. Darnell Savage, he was elevated from a DNP to a limited participant from Wednesday to Thursday, too. So not a perfect injury report for the defense right now, but at least those two things are definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. I think guys are turned around. I think the Kevin King one's really, really important. Um, you know, that with that Bengals game, he had a good game, gets injured at the end of it. And you mentioned the quarterbacks coming up. I think just overall these offenses in the next five, six weeks before Thanksgiving or even into Thanksgiving, it's tough, man. And they need to be as healthy as they can in the defensive side of the ball. And that includes you know, the front seven, specifically this back end. You mentioned Darnell Savage with that concussion in a limited practice on Thursday. Hopefully he can be a full goal because I think he's a huge piece of that defense. A lot of speed, probably the fastest guy they have out there right now, can cover a lot of ground, can basically limit any big plays more more often than not, and gets to balls that are just sometimes unfathomable, i.e. the one he had on the uh, potential false start slash offsides in the Bears game, and he just tracks it down the back of the end zone and no business getting to that ball. So them getting the full strength, I think, right now is super, super important. 
They will have a bye week, obviously, coming up down the road here. But, you know, without that, uh, week 13, they still have a ways to go before they can actually get fully healthy. But it it seems like, at least for the Packers, the injury report's getting a little bit thinner. I know some guys are actually out, you know, like the Zadarius Smith, MVS, Jairs. But overall, it's it seems like it's trending in the right direction, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I would have to imagine, too, the Packers are feeling fairly optimistic about Kevin King being able to both return and to play at a decent level. Otherwise, I can't imagine you cut Quentin Dunbar in five days or whatever it was after you sign him, because that was also announced this week that Quentin Dunbar has been released. And I thought, what? Why? You just signed Mm -hmm. him. I thought he was important cornerback depth. And I know this past year, he wasn't much of anything. And two years ago, he had a good year. So you thought maybe that was a flyer worth taking. But apparently they feel comfortable enough with Kevin King's return or maybe to look at it as optimistically glass half full as possible. Maybe that means they're feeling a little more optimistic about Jair Alexander's injury and you don't feel you need the depth for quite that long. So obviously that is a big deal, but I'm not going to lie. I was very taken aback when Quentin Dunbar, he was pretty much the Abe Simpson gif. He walks in, puts his hat down, turns around, picks it up and walks right back out of the restaurant. That's essentially Quentin Dunbar's time. And I don't know about you, Matt, but I was very surprised he was on the way out this week. It's ridiculous. Honestly, the life of a free agent, NFL player man it's it's a tough tough game like you look at that like he gets signed then they go and play in Chicago and by the time he's probably back and does even a load of laundry he's already you know out uh, out of a job like I, I'm trying to understand what those five days looked like for him I'm sure he slept in like four different beds like it just had to be absolutely erratic like a tough scene but I think it goes back to like you said the Kevin King thing if Kevin King was if they didn't expect him to play this week I don't think Dunbar gets cut because it just didn't make sense that you would get rid of a guy that had some familiarity with Joe Barry is a decent corner in this league. I felt like he was a, you know, a, a, a good acquisition last week, but then to get rid of him within five days is just very, very bizarre, but it could be telling where the secondary depth is. It's just, it's strange to me. Cause I feel like Rasul Douglas, you mentioned Yadam. I just feel like side to side, maybe this is just biased off of a name that I'm more familiar with Quentin Dunbar, but I felt like he's a better cornerback. He's definitely better than Yadam. I mean, Yadam looked, absolutely atrocious in that first drive like you mentioned before we recorded and they finally made that move and it worked better with Douglas out there but overall you would think Dunbar would still be on the roster regardless of Kevin King's status regardless of Jair's status because I think Dunbar could have been a contributor but apparently not and he's gone within five days and probably didn't have to change his mailing address to be honest while we're talking injuries we should throw this out there as well I don't know if he's going to play this week I'm highly doubtful he's going to play this week David Bakhtiari is back at practice and I know it's just one player. I know he's not someone who's going to catch the ball or throw the ball or run with the ball, but I don't think it can be understated how big of a deal it is for him to be back at some point. And it might not be until Thursday night against Arizona in week eight. It might not be until week nine against the Chiefs, but man, to even have him back on the field and competing is such a big deal after he's been out for what is it now, nine, 10 months with that torn ACL. That is a huge deal. And I don't think that can be understated either. So there's still some personnel concerns, and obviously Jair Alexander's persistently mysterious status is a major concern, but to see Bach back out there and to watch the videos of him running out on the field, it just is such a freeing feeling almost that, yes, we've talked so much about these different guys on the offensive line who have stepped in and played well, but knowing we are that much closer to the whole group being back is a thrill, to be honest. Oh, it's super, super awesome. Like, and 
I think when he came back, was it Tuesday or Wednesday? There was a report of him like coming out a different door with Aaron Rodgers, kind of avoiding the media. And then you see after he posts on his Twitter page, at least with the, you know, kind of the filter of the voice filter and says, I'm back, expletive and in his truck. And it's like just a dude that you want to have on the team. And I think, I don't think all regular season games are created equal. I think a lot towards the end of the year is super, super important specifically for division races, seeing where your team is health-wise, where you can f- be slotted with now with the extra playoff game in the, you know in your conference. And I think the best thing about it is these first couple weeks when maybe two months it will be by the time he gets on the field, you've had a lot of different bodies have been able to be plugged and played. You can understand you know the, the caliber of talent you have with Josh Myers or Lucas Patrick and then with the guards with Runyon and Royce Newman, you you now can see that, wow, Billy Turner actually is a really damn good football player. Aaron Rodgers putting up his Pro Bowl nomination already for Billy Turner early in the year. So I think it's it's a really great problem to have once this all filters itself out, because now you have a situation where it's Elton Jenkins, David Bakhtiari, where do you go from here? Um, I think it's a great problem to have. You slip him back into left guard. Myers is fully healthy, assuming with when his knee can come back. That's going to be something to be looking at. Again, though, Lucas Patrick is a veteran dude. He can fill in. And I think it's just once it everyone remains healthy, you know, in a perfect world, there's no more other injuries on the offensive line. You're going to have the five best offensive linemen out there instead of having maybe you're starting the second to sixth one and now you're third to seventh or you're sliding down that depth chart roster. I think it's going to be great. Like, I'm I'm very pumped to see when David comes back. I think I'm going to wean him back in. I doubt he goes this week, like you mentioned, but I think it's going to be very important once again, this cooler weather, once this running game gets even more established, that they have the best five offensive linemen they have out there. It seems to be trending that way once Josh Myers is fully a go from his uh, his knee injury. And you mentioned Lucas Patrick. We should give him some praise, too, because he was not good against Cincinnati, but was far better against Chicago. So probably Lucas Patrick as well. Let's get into this week. Packers taking on the Washington football team. We'll get to the matchups in a moment. We've got to talk fashion. We've got to talk jerseys. You and I both know this is obviously Game on Wisconsin's number one fashion podcast, as well as Talking Ball podcast. I love these jerseys. We talked a little bit about them when they were introduced during training camp and said, hey, look what we're going to wear for throwbacks this year. More and more every time I see them, I love them. I think the aesthetic is perfect. I've seen a lot of people compare them to the Oregon Ducks and something that Oregon would wear. I don't care who you compare them to. I think they're awesome. And generally speaking, and maybe this is kind of a survivor bias or a selection bias, but I feel like the Packers usually do pretty darn well in throwbacks. Not that there's any real data behind that or meaning behind that, but against a team in Washington that I don't think is all that good. And I think the Packers are going to beat, you might as well look good doing it. And I think these jerseys and uniforms in total are awesome. Also the all yellow helmet, as much as we love the G, the all yellow helmet is awesome. I love when they bring that out. It's clean. And like, you know, I, I think it's fun to see the Packers embrace a different sort of moving maybe in a more modern direction for this franchise. Having gone to games, one game this year and even the last couple of years, you can tell that just even the, the atmosphere around the team, when you're in between plays, the music they're playing, the, the introductions, everything just seems a little bit more up to speed of what a 2021 billion dollar franchise should look like. And getting these jerseys that just it's yeah. Is it different? Yeah, it's for sure different. But is it really different for anyone else in this league? No, I think a lot of teams would go with the solid primary color. And I think it's a really, really cool look. It's a brand new look from the Packers. They've had the all whites before that they had on Thursday Night Football a few years ago. Those are OK. 
I don't think they'll ever go the full yellow because that's a complete contrast to what they normally had. But even like even the yellow, instead of it being flip flop, it just it's, it's it's so different. And if you're being compared to the Oregon Ducks, like that's that's a good problem to have. Like those those Oregon Ducks jerseys, they'll never get to the the collaboration or the um, I guess the variation of the Packers could possibly have with all the different ones. Like I know the the Ducks can have, but I love it. I think it's a it's a great thing. Uh, will I be running out and going to buy one? No, absolutely not. It'll cover the grass stains well, so the the good on the equipment team. They don't have to do worry about too much of that. And the I do like the the yellow helmet. I'm a big fan of the yellow helmet. I think it's a it's a different look. It's easy. It's simple. And I think everything about it is just there's there's it's not a lot of flash. It's just something different than you normally see. And and you talking about you know the jerseys like you you don't think there's been that bad of ones. I hated the the Powerball ones. I hated the Acme ones. I didn't like those just because there were so many colors everywhere. The brown. Then we had the blue, the dark blue, then we had the yellow ball. It was just the pants were bad. Everything about those I hated. So uh, if this is just a one-year stint with these 50s uniforms, that's fine. I like them a lot. And it's, you know, it's even talk about like it's the 50s Packers is a, basically an era that not many Packers fans know. But we all know about the 60s, right? Like that's a very, mm-hmm. very notable championship runs. And to go back to the 50s and dip into the Rolodex is it's kind of sweet. So I'm, I'm a big fan of this, and I hope uh, – get some i guess some other fans excited that maybe more traditional the one lasting memory i will always have of the powerball uniforms is the crazy long donald driver touchdown yep. against san francisco and i loved donald driver i was wearing my donald driver jersey for the game this past sunday against the bears i loved donald driver and that was right at the end of his career too and that's one of my favorite Packer highlights ever. So that is the one, again, kind of the confirmation bias that, oh, yeah, of course we always play well in these. Remember that one touchdown from a decade ago? That's kind of the <laughs> thing that always sticks to my mind. So if anything is going to bring up positive memories, you might as well stick with it. But as for this game in particular, Washington, as I mentioned, coming off of a loss to Kansas City in which they were actually leading at halftime 13-10. to 10, and then lost 31 to 13. They just got absolutely smacked. Patrick Mahomes did his thing, just like I personally expect Aaron Rodgers to do his thing in this game this weekend. Last year, Washington's defense was awesome. They were so good. Their defensive line was unbelievable. Their secondary played well. That was the bread and butter of a team that, despite having a losing record, made it to the postseason. This year, they're not nearly as good. Their defense has taken a massive step back. Their secondary is terrible, or at least it's terrible adjacent. Their defensive line is still super talented. I still think Chase Young is a really nice developing young player, but they have not been nearly the same unit. So I would think this is a great opportunity for the Packers offense to put them away early, score a bunch of points, get a bunch of dudes involved. You feel good going into the Thursday night game against Arizona next week. But one topic that I've mentioned a couple of times here and there during the podcast this season, Matt, and it was brought up to Aaron Rodgers this week. It was brought up to Matt LaFleur this week. It's the deep ball in the offense. And I don't think... It's fair to say Aaron Rodgers in general isn't having a good year because he's top 10 in the league in passer rating. He's top 10 in touchdown passes. If you look at the really in-depth stuff, EPA per play, things like that, he's doing tremendously, especially if you look weeks two through now and take out week one. He's been tremendous all season, but that's the one element of the game that just has not been there, the deep ball. And I know MVS is hurt, but even to Devontae Adams, it hasn't been super on target. Tunyon has been a almost non-factor in the offense this year. Lazard has not done much, got a little more involved against Chicago. Are you at all concerned about this? I'm not surprised that Aaron Rodgers said he's not worried because he's king of being confident about everything all the time these days. Matt LaFleur said he's not worried about it. 
are you at all concerned that we're now going into week seven and the deep ball game still really isn't clicking for this offense? I'm a little concerned, but like based off of them not having their deep ball threat in MBS, they kind of put some of that away. I'm also even less concerned if I think about it in a longevity standpoint of like maybe they just got some stuff in the back of their in the back pocket like i've since week one you talk about robert tanya not getting involved one of the biggest things in week one that i was hitting or focused on was the way they were moving robert tanya around the offensive line in the play action like i i don't feel like they're getting as creative with rob as they normally have so maybe they have some other stuff up their sleeve down the road you would think you'd want to get him involved since he was such a productive player for them last year, especially with MVS out. And then just need, needing a second guy to step up and take some targets and take some focus away from Devontae. You know, I'm not too concerned, again, because I think they can overall, it's not a light switch for them because we've noticed from time and time again, the way Aaron Rodgers likes to play, the way he likes to make reads, it's it takes a while getting that rhythm. So it's not like all of a sudden MVS comes back and towards the end of the year, before the playoffs, they're just going to, start throwing the ball deep. I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to take a while to set it up. And maybe there is something with Nathaniel Hackett, LaFleur, that they have in the back of their pocket. I think we've talked about this before where it's like teams get so accustomed to how a team plays. And you mentioned the, the Washington football team, really good defenses last year. Have teams figured out how to block them? Have teams figured out how to tire out that front seven so they're not as productive? Like that's how great teams in this league are able to you know adjust. You mentioned the, the game last week, Chiefs versus Washington football team. They're up at halftime, and all of a sudden, the Chiefs just probably made a couple tweaks, and they're like, hey, we do have all this speed. Let's get the ball out to them. And I know Tyreek Hill was battling an injury. I think Kelsey at one point got a little tweaked up. So they're out with the running back situations kind of dire there too. So I think it's a matter of just at some point them towards the end of the year, I think, getting it into getting it to work. Because if you don't have the deep threat as a threat, you're kind of in a bad spot for the run game. You, the safety gets to play up more. You know, Devante isn't the fastest guy in the league. I think he's a pretty extremely quick twitch muscle guy, agile off the line. Obviously, we know that. But, like, he's not going to blow by anyone, I don't think, unless he's got a double move going on. So I think they do need to get it involved, and I think that will happen when MVS comes back. But if they even want to sandbag it until the end of the year and wait till December to unleash some stuff, I'm cool with that too. Like, you don't have to show all your tricks right away because you do. you are leading this division. Offense is clicking even without that. Outside of a few quarters versus the Saints, it's been a pretty good offense thus far. There hasn't really been any two lulls, so I'm not too concerned, but I would like to see it be a threat at some point. When that happens, we have to wait and see. Yeah, that's a great point that maybe it is something that is going to click later or they've got more opportunities mixed in that are going to be unleashed later in the season. And if that's the case, then fine by me. I would say I'm concerned, but not overly concerned because the offense is still working. I mean, you're mm -hmm. still figuring out how to get this offense working. It's more intermediate stuff to Devonte, and you're still getting other guys involved. Aaron Jones has been otherworldly during this season so far, and that's more in the short game. And if that's what it takes to get the offense clicking, then fine. I've got absolutely no problem with that. And once MVS comes back, if you still cannot get anything going 20 plus yards down the field, okay, maybe then some more legitimate worry would replace moderate concern. But for now, I think it's okay because as long as it's working, then fine. Now, if a defense, when they play, shoot, if they play Washington this weekend and the football team is putting 11 dudes on the line of scrimmage and saying, okay, try to throw it deep on us and Rodgers goes one of 10 throwing beyond 20 yards or something, then I might say, okay, what the hell's going on here? But for now, as long as the offense is clicking without it, I don't think there's any reason to be 
overly anxious about it. Although I will say this, when it comes to Robert Tunyon, you know who's someone who's injured, who we have not talked about in several weeks now, whose impact I think has not been really talked about? Dominique Daphne, who is not Mm. a Mm. dynamic player, I think by any means. I don't think Dominique Daphne would tell you that he's a dynamic player, but you know what he is? He's your best blocking tight end. And we saw this against Chicago and a couple other games so far. Robert Tunyon is not a blocking tight end. He is your traditional extra big wide receiver who lines up on the line. I mean, that's essentially what Tunyon is. And that's fine because he's good at that role. And we saw that throughout 2020. He's not good when he's got to do various different combinations of blocking and staying in and protecting and all of that. You bring Daphne in, that's going to open up more things that Tunyon can do working down the field where he was so excellent last season. So I'm not saying Dominique Daphne getting healthy is the difference between a playoff contender and a Super Bowl contender by any means, but maybe that's a piece that will help open things up for some other passing options down the field. With that, let's get into matchups for this week and predictions as well. I've been talking down about the football team pretty much this whole time, saying that I think the Packers are going to win. What is the biggest standout matchup to you in this one? Is it an element of the offense versus that declining, I think is fair to say, Washington defense? Is it something on the Packers defense going up against a not elite offensive talent group, but a few really nice players for that Washington defense are going to be out there? Sounds like Antonio Gibson could be ready to go. Scary Terry McLaurin, I think, is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, one of the most dynamic playmakers for sure. What's the standout matchup to you, and how do you see this one shaking out? I got a couple. So I think last week was pretty obvious, uh, but this week I have like three, if you will, um, and I could even maybe boil it down to two. So first one is obviously 17. You got to stop McLaurin. like, And he's in a situation where it's similar to Allen Robinson, right, where he doesn't have a really great quarterback it's similar to andre hopkins when he was with the texans like he's gonna make plays regardless he's just thrown in the pigskin it was ryan fitzpatrick this early in the year now it's taylor heineke i don't think it really matters because terry's still gonna get his like he's very very productive so i think whoever's covering him is gonna have a tough matchup if it's stokes if it's a banged up kevin king we'll see how he does with tackling with that shoulder injury so that's that's number one and then like a secondary one on the offense would be jd mckissick i think if antonio gibson is banged up and limited Packers have been notable for having issues with receiving backs. J.D. McKissick is coming off a big game last week. Some of that might have been garbage time yardage. I don't remember. But overall, McKissick's a, a decent receiving back. Is he gonna? Is he a bruiser by no means? No, but he does create matchup problems in, in that receiving game. And then the other one on the opposite side of the ball is just that front seven overall. Like you mentioned, they haven't really had a good, good start to this year. But there's a lot of dudes out there, man. Jonathan Allen. You have, obviously, Chase young you have darren Payne, like montez sweat like those four guys are nasty like it wouldn't take much for them to get after green bay a little bit depending on weather i i don't know if that'll be factor in a little bit with them but those front four like that those are those are tough guys to get your hands on and thus far we haven't had any real hiccups with this passing or with the with the offensive line like i expected it in week three yosh nijman performed really really well in that game we performed very very well week four once they made a couple adjustments on tj watt and like it hasn't been a factor and is that time going to come i feel like there was a little glimpse of that last week early on in the first half where the packers seemed like the offense or the the offense line was struggling the pass rush was getting to the packers from the Bears side so i think there's a potential because there are some guys that can be super wreak a lot of havoc Jonathan, Jonathan, I mean, all four of these guys, I can't even really differentiate. I know Chase Young maybe is having a sophomore slump here. 
Jonathan Allen, super, super tough off the middle. Montez Sweat's probably the fourth best guy on that front set or the front four. And I think he's a really, really dominant player. So basically, like, is there a chance that they could get after him? Yes. Have the Packers show that they can you know, adapt and block really, really good front sevens thus far. Yes, they have. But could this be one of the games where it just doesn't click? You know, we saw that week one with the offense and the defense didn't really work out. Maybe there's a potential for the offensive line to take a step back. But I think that's that's definitely third on my list. So I'm going to say, like I said, McLaurin matchup, J.D. McKissick, especially if whatever capacity Antonio Gibson can go. And then that front four, if they can get after the offensive line in some capacity. I don't see that happening, but there is a chance. Yeah, the number one one for me that stuck out for the Packer offense is getting the run game going and getting the protection set against that front four for Washington, which has all the talent in the world. I mean, you just listed all those guys, Payne and Allen and Young. I mean, that is a very talented and deep group for Washington that hasn't performed, hasn't had the production that it had a season ago, but there's still an immense amount of talent. And the Packers, for as effective as we've seen Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon be, I think there's still more room for that offensive run game to grow into and more room for improvement. And maybe this is the opportunity. You've got Elton Jenkins back at closer to full health. I know not having Josh Myers makes things a little more difficult, but Lucas Patrick, again, we mentioned him earlier. He had a good game this past week against the Bears. So maybe he's getting into more of a rhythm as well with some consistent snaps. That would be great if that could help the run game out. So being able to run and move the ball short distances with the run game against that defensive line for Washington, I think that really stands out to me. And I'm with you on the other side of the ball. I think for Terry McLaurin, when it comes to him, I think he could end up with seven catches for 120 yards. You might still be able to say, hey, Eric Stokes did a pretty good job against him Mm -hmm. or Kevin King did a pretty good job against him. Sort of reminds me of the Cincinnati game a little bit where Jamar Chase had tons of yardage and catches and touchdowns and everything. But Honest to God, I don't think the Packers did that bad of a job on him. It could have been a whole hell of a lot worse. I think you might end up with the same sort of thing because McLaurin Mm -hmm. is just such a good player. And you phrased it perfectly. He's going to get his one way or another. Just to what level can you contain it? But the backs, I think that is the area that is going to be the biggest X factor, if you will, because Antonio Gibson, if he's able to go anywhere close to full strength, he is such a dynamic playmaker. And JD McKissick has found it a little bit of a nice career refresh since he's gotten to Washington as the secondary back. He can catch the ball a little bit. He's a good running back tailback option. If you split out Antonio Gibson into the slaughter, move him out wide. So they can do a lot of stuff with those two backs. I think that's going to be the interesting thing for the defense should be a pretty interesting matchup to watch specifically for the linebacking core against them. Big opportunity for Devondre Campbell to step up. Jalen Smith, I wouldn't be surprised if he has an increased role in this game as well in his second active game. So that's the matchup for the Packers defense against the Washington offense that I'm the most intrigued by for this week. I think I'm going to take the Packers by multiple scores in this one, though. Washington looked awful last week. I was split screening the Packer game and the Chief game a week ago. And man, Washington came out in the second half and they just looked terrible. Last week, I took the Packers, I believe it was 31-20 over the Bears. I'm going to give you a similar number this week. I'm going to take Packers 34, and I will go Washington football team 20. I just think almost every single matchup favors the Packers in this one. I have flirted with getting these scores right every week besides the Saints game and the Niners game. Saints game, obviously, was just a complete outlier. Niners game, you and I both were like, ah, I don't know how they, I feel about this team. And every other game, I've been off by like one score or something like that. I want to get it perfect. I like, I really want to get, I think, I, I think, I, what did I have last week? It was at 24, 17. Like that was so damn close. So, and I'm going to stick with the same strategy. We got to look at the weather. Weather looks good. Fair 50 degrees. No real precipitation should be, that shouldn't be a factor. It's been a little bit rainy here this week. 
in Green Bay. We'll see if that picks up. I know it looks like the shower should finish by the time you guys are listening to this, maybe a little bit on Monday. So we're hitting a good pocket there. The big thing I'm looking at here, though, is Packers are favored by eight points. I, I, I think that's I think the, the score you have right now is fantastic, especially with the over under they have at 48 and a half. I'm going to go a little bit higher score uh, than what I've been normally going. I've basically been taking my scores and going at least a a touchdown or three or four points less than that. But I'm going to go bigger like you're going. I'm going to go I'm going to go 34, 13 Packers. So that'll put me just under the under, I guess. So 34, 13 Packers. I really do think this is another game that has some blowout potential. I don't want to mm-hmm. curse it because of what happened week one. I am still scarred by that game, even though the Packers are such a different team now than they were then. But I really do think that Terry McLaurin might get his. Antonio Gibson might have a good game, but Taylor Heineke doesn't worry me all that much. I mean, he is the god of chaos on the football field. He truly is the spiritual mm-hmm. successor to Ryan Fitzpatrick in some of the good ways and plenty of the bad ways as well. Their defense is down. I, I'm really liking the Packers this week. We'll be reacting to it on Twitter all weekend long. You can follow along with us. Matt is on Twitter at Matt underscore F-R-A underscore. I'm on Twitter as well at Brendan DZW. Looking forward to this one, Matt. Going to be at home next week. It's a road game against Arizona on a Thursday night. This is a big opportunity for this Packers team to get some momentum going into the hardest two games of the schedule against Arizona and Kansas City coming up the next couple weeks. Definitely. Let's make sure we get out healthy. If there's guys who need to rest, that's important too because that Arizona game will come up quick. Some people, not me, not yourself, would call this a trap game when you're looking past a team like this that's playing a little bit below their standard going into a game on Thursday night. But overall, I think it's if we come out healthy, Packers, I think they have a great shot to go in and get into this meat of the stretch. But got to got to win week seven first. You can't just look past the, the Washington football team, which is a decent football team. Yeah, can't overlook anyone in the NFL. We, of course, are not. Thank you for joining us for the final dump. We'll be back with you coming up next Friday. We'll be recapping a Thursday night game. A little bit of a different twist on the final oh, dump coming up next week. We will join you then. For Matt Fralick, I'm Brendan Dworzynski. You've been listening to The Final Dump, presented by Game On Wisconsin. Well, Wayne, I think this is one that Vince Lombardi and George Hallis would be proud of. You could have given me a touchdown. That is hard to overturn, you know what I mean? I understand that. was that. a good effort, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it's pretty good effort.